Good morning. I always think, I still think the lion's den is a risky name for children's ministry. I think they're asking for trouble. But, uh, well, my name is, is Ross Gilbert, and uh, welcome to, to New Life Fellowship. As Jeremy said, we're, we're less than a month old. This is our, our fifth Sunday, and I, I got to say, I'm, I'm thrilled with how it's going. Uh, I couldn't be happier. There's still some, obviously, some issues we're working through, but uh, I'm so excited that... Um, just the ride's been a joy. So uh, uh, glad to have all you guys out. If, uh, if you know some friends and family that are looking for a church, uh, we'd love to welcome them here. Um, we're just excited what God's doing here. Uh, this morning, we're going we're gonna to pick up on a message that we left off uh, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, we were, we were looking at uh, a verse, and particularly we started with 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. And there, Paul writes, he, he talks about this, the message of the cross. He says, uh, do you want to put the slide up? Excellent. So the word of the cross, or the message of the cross, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And, and we talked about how that, that the power of God is, is discovered or found for us in understanding the cross. And so last week, or last two weeks ago, we looked at the cross and we, we understood or we saw the incredible forgiveness of God. The, the, the statement, the judgment, really, that the cross proclaimed, not judgment against you in a negative sense, but a judgment that says that you are forgiven. That there is no condemnation. That there's not a single sin that will ever be pulled out against you, used against you. All of that has already been taken care of. Your entire past has been washed clean, but even your future has already been washed clean. Because that death, that punishment was paid for some 2,000 years ago on the cross. And so you can't get any cleaner. You can't get any... any um, any more wonderful than who you already are because your record has been expunged. And, and so we also saw that God didn't just cover your sins. He did something far better. He took them away. They're gone. As far as the east is from the west. And, and so that, that's amazing to know that. That's incredible to know how forgiven we are. Because I don't know about you, but Marco's got a lot of sins. And so for him to be forgiven is remarkable. And so this is what God has done. Amen? Amen. You can say amen. It's okay, right? We'll get a little charismatic here sometimes. So the question though is, well, what about today? What about right now? Because it's wonderful to know that I'm forgiven after I screw up. But wouldn't it be better to not have screwed up in the first place? Wouldn't it be better to, to live differently than how I was? Because you think about it, the reason we came to Jesus in the first place for salvation was because we realized that we were struggling. We realized that we weren't measuring up and that we were failing. But wouldn't it be better to not fail in the first place? Well, I want you to hear this. What you understand and believe about the cross and what happened there 2,000 years ago will determine how you live today. That's so important. We put it up there on the screen. I'm going to say it again for dramatic effect because I think it's really critical. What you understand and believe about the cross and what happened there 2,000 years ago will determine how you live today. You see, if all I believe now is that I'm just a forgiven sinner, if that's all that happened, that all that happened on that cross was the forgiveness of my sins, then the reality is I still haven't changed. I'm still the same person. 
And so what ends up happening now is because I'm thankful for this forgiveness and I'm, I'm rejoicing over this forgiveness, what ends up happening is my life's motive will often become about trying to clean up my life, trying to live differently. And so we, we spend all kinds of time trying to figure out what's the, the best way, the, the best um, uh, way of living or method of living that will please God. And it's all often centered in on our behavior. And so we create these models, these ideas of what it means to, to live appropriately in terms of what activities are okay to do. Is it okay to do this activity, but not that activity, right? That I can, I can dance in a larger group, but I can't do line dancing in country music, right? So, I can, so certain things are okay or not okay. What music to listen to? Uh, what clothes to wear? Is this, this clothes, is it too tight? Is it too revealing? Is it too baggy? Is, it, is there enough of it? And so we have all kinds of questions. How do I talk? What words are appropriate? Words, words are not appropriate. What jokes are okay? What jokes are not okay? What emotions are acceptable? What, what books and movies or TV programs can I watch and which ones I can't? And so we create these boundaries, these rules, thinking that if I can somehow illustrate or if I can somehow um, live my life according to these principles, then, then everything will be okay. That, in fact, God would be so pleased with me that he will bless me. But if I'm failing to measure up to these areas, then he'll likely be disappointed with me and there withhold his love and his blessing on my life. You know what that reminds me of, that kind of thinking? It reminds me of like all these diet fads that go out there. Think about these diet fads that go out there, whether it's the Atkins or the, the keto diet now or, you know, the, the South Beach diet. There's all kinds of, of diets that we've got out there. And, and they're all looking at this, what's okay and what's not okay to eat? Right? That we're going to have a, a high protein but low carb. And so you got to avoid these carbs, but you can have these carbs. It's okay. And you can have this kind of protein, but not that kind of protein. And you got to make sure you have this and that. And, and we have all this order in our lives. And so we've kind of treated the Christian life like it's a diet. What you can and cannot do, hoping that at the end of it, you will feel good about yourself. But it's going about it the wrong way. It's going about it in a way that is simply all about what you can do. And I, and I got to think that's not the answer for us. I got to think that's not what the apostles were talking about. It's not what God has in store for us. So that's what we want to understand. What is it that God's got in store for us that's so different? So let's, let's pray towards that goal this morning. Heavenly Father. I'm excited about tonight or this morning's message and what we're going to talk about because it's the power of you. It's your power. It's, the, it's what you've accomplished on this cross. And Father, this is, this is such a key truth. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher this morning. That somehow your spirit would speak through me and take your word, take your truth and open up our eyes, open up our hearts so that we're able to not just receive this truth and, and gain some intellectual understanding, but Father, we would see ourselves and you in a whole new way, that we would discover a new way to live and to operate. Thank you so much that we can trust you for this. In your name we pray, amen. All right, we're going to begin in, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22. And we're going to just look at the first part of this verse. And it says, but for those in Adam, all die. Now, that's a heavy statement when you think about it, because it's life and death, right? It's talking of life and death here. But it all hinges on that little two-letter word, in. 
For those that are in Adam, they're going to experience death. So we need to, we need to pause for a moment and make sure that we understand what this word in means. Okay? So to start, we're going to start with a little illustration. A little kind of get your brain thinking a little bit. But think about where was your life two months before you were born? Go ahead, check that out. Where was your life two months before you were born? And your mom, right? Not a hard question. Not very difficult, I hope, right? I know it's Sunday morning. We're getting started still. But we're in your mom, right? So when your mom goes to the grocery store, where did you go? Went to the grocery store, right? Mom goes to the bank. Where did you go? You go to the bank, right? If mom went to the gym to work out, then you'd be in the gym working out. If mom went base jumping, what would you have been doing? You would have been screaming. You would have gone base jumping with her, right? Because the point being is, because you're in mom, whatever is happening to mom is also happening to you. Does that make sense? Right? For example, if mom went base jumping and she went splat, what would have happened to you? You would have gone splat too, right? That, that's in a very simple way the theology of in. That whoever you're in, what happens to them happens to you. This is so important, so I'm going to illustrate it a different way. I've got a, I've got a book up here, and I've got a card. Uh, this, this card is actually for Greg, Greg and Megan, who were up here earlier. And, and Greg sells flooring. If you ever need flooring, just come talk to Greg. He'll look after you. But, but I want you to imagine that this card is actually Greg. This card is Greg himself, right? And we're going to put Greg where? In the book. So Greg is in the book. So if I put the book here on the music stand, where's Greg? He's on the music stand, right? If I take the book and I mail the book to China, where's Greg? He's in China. Now, did I have to do anything to Greg? No, I just do it to the book. In doing it to the book, I'm doing it to Greg. Does that make sense? Let's go further with this. If the book now hits Chris, what did Greg do? He hit Chris, and Chris isn't buying flooring from Greg anymore, Right? So if we burn the book, what do we, what do, we do to Greg? We teach him a lesson for hitting Chris. That's what we do, right? And then if we put the book in a bucket of water, what do we do to Greg? We baptize him. We get him saved. We're Christians here, folks, right? So the point being is whatever is happening to the book is happening to Greg because why? Greg is, say it with me, in the book. Make sense? Simple but profound, let me, let, me, let me apply this now because let's think for this second. Where was your life two years before you were born? Not, not two months, two years before you were born. I've heard all kinds of different answers, right? Well, we were, we were a twinkle in mom's eye, twinkle in dad's eye. We were, we were a twinkle in both. We were a twinkle in God's eye. We didn't exist. All kinds of answers. Scripture actually gives us some insight into this. In Hebrews chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, it tells us about this man named Melchizedek. And so it says that, so to speak, through Abraham, who received tithes, paid tithes, or even, so through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now, the writer of Hebrews here, he's referring to an event recorded for us in Genesis chapter 14. 
In Genesis chapter 14, Abraham, he had just rescued his nephew Lot. Lot had been kidnapped by a group of men. So Abraham and his buddies got together. They went, tracked down these guys, fought a war, rescued Lot, but also now um, plundered these guys. And they're now trucking back home with all the spoils of war. When out of nowhere comes this man named Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek was the king of Jerusalem. At the time, it was called Salem. And he was also a high priest of God. And, and together, Abraham and, and Melchizedek, they built an altar. And then Abraham paid a tithe, or 10% of the spoils of war, to Melchizedek. And the writer of Hebrews is telling us that not only did Abraham pay that tithe, but so did Levi. Now, we've got to understand the connection between the two. See, Abraham had a son named Isaac. And Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, one of which was called Levi. He eventually became the, the, the Levite nation through him. So Levi is Abraham's great-grandson. Make sense? Make the connection? So Abraham and great-grandson Levi together paid the tithe to Melchizedek. Should be straightforward, should be simple. There's only one problem with our story. When Abraham meets Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14, he doesn't have any kids. No Isaac means no Jacob. No Jacob means no Levi. So how does Levi do something before his grandfather's even born? Where was Levi's life? It was still in his father, who is still in his father, who is still in Abraham. So what this tells us that your life spiritually, two years before you were born, was where? It was in your, it's in your dad. See, think of it this way. If, if your dad died in a, if your dad died in a car accident two years before you were born, where would you be? You'd show up missing, right? You wouldn't be around because that's where your life is. Now, DNA would say, well, wait a minute, science says we got a problem with this. Because we can see, we can, we could draw some blood or some saliva from your mouth and, and discover that, that you carry some of DNA from mom and some from dad and they've kind of smushed together to make you. That's true of your body. But we're more than a body. Paul says, for me to be absent from the body, I, the real me, the spiritual me, I am present with the Lord. And so, yes, your body is a mashup of mom and dad, but your spirit is separate and your spirit was in your father before you were born. We'll come back to that just to kind of show how, how important that actually is and how true that is. But let's play this out a little bit. If your life was in your dad two years before you were born, where was your life two years before he was born? It'd be in your father's father. And we could go all the way up your family tree, and eventually we would end up with who? With Adam. And so your life was in Adam. So I want you to think of this way. If, imagine this book is Adam. And, and not only do we have Greg in here, but now this card is you. And maybe each of these pages is a different person. But you and I are where? We are in Adam. And what does it mean to be in someone? That whatever happens to them, happens to us. And so because you and I are in Adam, some things happen to us. Next slide. When Adam sinned in that garden, what happened to us? We sinned with him. 
When, when Adam died to God, when he was disconnected and separated from God, what happened to you and I? We died and we were separated from God. When Adam was condemned in that garden because of the sin, you and I were condemned. And then finally, when Adam became a sinner, when he was made a sinner in that garden, you and I were made a sinner in that garden. Notice that all of this is true of you and I, not because of what you did, you know, when you were eight years old and you tripped your sister and laughed at her. That's not why it's true. It's true of you and I, we were born this way all because we were born in Adam. Hence the reason, 1 Corinthians 15, 22, for as in Adam all experience death. This, by the way, explains the virgin birth. Have you ever thought about why God did that with Jesus? Like, why a virgin birth? I mean, did Jesus get all the angels together up in heaven and say, okay, guys, brainstorming idea, no idea is a bad idea, but my son is going to come to earth. We need a great PR stunt. We need something to really kind of catch their attention, catch their eye, because there's no such thing as social marketing at this point. And we don't have YouTube, and, and we can't have Twitter and hashtags. So what can we do to get these people's attention that Jesus is special? And, and somebody says, virgin birth, brilliant idea. And that's all it was. It was a big PR stunt. Was that the case? No. You see, if Jesus had an earthly father, then he too would have been part of who? Part of Adam. And all that is true of you and I would have been true of Jesus as well. But he didn't have an earthly father. He could have a, a, an earthly mother because he can get a body from her, but he didn't have an earthly father to not be in Adam. Does that make sense? This will be yes for today. All right? Okay. So you and I, this is how we are in Adam. Right? Now, what's, what's wonderful and what we saw two, time, two weeks ago was that, that you and I are forgiven. And so God's taken care of all this. And, and he's changed all of us in a, in a dramatic way. Isn't that wonderful? Right? That, that you know... Because we're a sinner, of course we're going to lie. Of course we're going to cheat. Of course we're going to manipulate and control other people. Of course we're going to have these outbursts of anger. Of course we're going to do all these things. But God's forgiven us. The problem is, is if we're only forgiven, you and I haven't changed. Let me illustrate it to you this way. Imagine you take a pig and this pig's been rolling around the mud so it's so dirty. And you think, oh, this pig, it's messy. We got to clean it up. So you take the pig out of the muck and the mire and you, you wash it and you bathe it and then you, you kind of, you know, comb its little fuzzy fur on it and stuff and you put a little nice bow on it and a little lipstick on it and one of those weird looking outfits on it and, and what do you got? Got lipstick on a pig. It's still what? It's still a pig. And what's that pig going to do? It's going to roll around in the muck and the mire because that's what pigs do. See, the problem is, if we're only forgiven, I'm not changed. I'm not different. And the good news is, God has done way more, much more, the scripture says, than just forgiving you and I. He's done much more than just reconciling us to God. He's going to deliver us from our greatest problem, which is who? Ourselves. Who we were when we showed up here on planet Earth. And so what we need is a rescue plan. So Colossians 1 verse 13 says that God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and places us in the kingdom of his beloved son. 
For some reason, whenever I read this verse, I think of someone out in the, uh, out in the ocean and they're flailing and they're drowning. And then all of a sudden comes David Hasselhoff running across the beach in slow motion, right? And he's going to dive into the ocean to rescue this person. Well, that's what God's done. We're drowning in this, in Adam. We're dying in Adam. And along comes Jesus and he rescues us. And it says that God takes us out of Adam and he places you and I in Christ. So if I could illustrate it to you this way, we got the two books up here now. We got the, the one book is Adam and the one book is Christ. And along comes God and he takes you and I out of Adam and places us in Christ. That's what Romans 6 and verse 3 says. Romans 6 and verse 3 says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized... Now here's the problem. We hear that word or see that word baptized, and what do you think? Word association. You probably think water. You probably think about that, that religious event or ceremony that we practice where someone has made their, their, their faith, and they want to make their faith public and, and they want to get baptized and make a public proclamation of their faith. And so we get a little hot tub or a little, little kiddie pool and we dunk them in there and we bring them back up and say, ah, hallelujah. Is that what Paul's talking about? No. No, there's no water in this verse. You don't get wet in this verse. See, the problem is the word baptize is misleading to us. See, the, the translators of the Bible, they came across the word here in the Greek. The Greek word is baptizo. And for whatever reason, they decided not to translate the word. They just, they, they transliterated it. They, they made it English sounding. Right? So baptizo, then Greek, became baptize. Now that to me, that's cheating. I mean, if that were the case, then I know Spanish. Right? Then, then suddenly this music stand becomes music stando, right? I know Spanish, right? That's essentially what they did. They just, they just made it English sounding. Problem is, we don't know what baptizo means. So you all just kind of smile and nod and go, yeah, yeah, baptizo. But what does it mean? Well, baptizo means to be placed into, to be immersed into. So when I said we take the book and we book, put it in a bucket of water, we baptize it, I wasn't kidding. We're placing the book into the water. When, when I take that card out of the one book and I baptize it, I'm placing it into the other book. So what if we read the verse this way, translating it? What if we read it as this? Though, do you not know that all of us who have been placed into Christ Jesus have also been placed into his death? Meaning that when Jesus was on that cross, when Jesus died, crucified 2,000 years ago, and you and I were where? We were in him. What happened to us? We were crucified with him. And what I find so amazing about this verse is it begins with, or do you not know? Have you not heard? Has nobody told you this? And I, I'm amazed at this because I, I've dealt with people for the last 15 years almost in counseling and helping people understand how to apply the Christian life to their struggles in the, every day. And I ask them this question, what happens on the cross? I've asked that question to hundreds of people across different denominations, different churches, different parts of the world even. And they all say, well, that's where Jesus died for me. 
But of hundreds of people, only two people have said, that's where I died with Jesus. And that's because I gave them a book right before that talked about it. So they were cheating. That's what it was. But this is the most underreported truth of the New Testament, in my opinion. But it's so important. Remember what Paul said earlier, we saw earlier this morning. This is the message of the cross, is the power of God. It's the power that set me free from me. I don't need to now embark upon a self-improvement program where I come up with a diet for my life about my behavior to fix myself. God's done something far more dramatic, far more redeeming. What he has done is by placing you and I into Jesus Christ, he crucified the person you used to be. The sinner died. Not only did he die, but verse 4 goes on to say that you and I were buried with him through baptism into death. So when Jesus was crucified on the cross, we were crucified. And then when he was buried, you and I were buried with him. Now this truth, I think, is so powerful, so critical to, the, to, the, to everyday Christianity. And the devil knows that. And so he's come and he's put a little bit of a spin, a little bit of a twist on this truth. And so instead of, you know, we read this verse and we hear things, well, I need to die to self. How many people, raise your hand, how many people have heard that, that you need to die to self? Raise your hand. That is, I, all throughout the churches. What's interesting is nowhere does God ask you to die to self. He, nor, I've heard this way, I need to die daily. No, he's not asking you to die daily. What he's saying is, do you not know? He's informing us of the truth that you have already died. You've already been crucified and you've already been buried. You see, if you and I need to die daily, we got two problems. Number one, who's raising the old man from the grave? You're not nearly powerful enough. There's only one person that can raise the dead and it's God and he's not about to raise your old man. But here's the bigger problem. If you and I need to die daily then who else needs to die daily? Jesus would. How many times did Jesus need to die? One time. How many times do you and I need to die? One time. It's already happened. It's already been completed. The thing is, the problem is, we just don't realize it. We just don't know that, that we have already been crucified and buried with him. And not only that, but it goes on to say, you and I were raised with him. So next slide here kind of summarizes that a little bit. That when Jesus died, the old you, that sinner, that old self, who you were when you showed up here on planet earth, was crucified and buried with Jesus. In order that you and I could be raised, but now as a brand new creation. Think about a very popular, famous verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Begins, therefore, if anyone is in Christ. There's that two-letter word again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. When do we talk about passed away? What are we referring to if we say so-and-so has passed away? We're saying they've died. The old has passed away. The old has died. Behold, here's the key. Behold a new. Now, as it say, is coming, will come. Or has come. It's past tense. The new has already come. You and I already are this brand new creation. And that's what's so powerful about this truth. 
I've told you this is, this is the, the basis of our counseling ministry and what we teach people because this is the power of God. It's the cross where God through the cross has not just forgiven you and cleaned you, but transformed you and I. And, and this is the truth. When this begins to grip your heart, it will completely change how you not you see yourself, but see God and other people. I give you one example of the countless of people that we've been able to help. But one person, she, she grew up in the church. And, and she grew up knowing that she was loved. But, but something happened to her in her past that left her feeling very down on herself. Feeling broken and damaged and never good enough and dirty. And, and there's something wrong with me. She was filled with all this shame. So what did she do? She went on a diet. Not, not a physical or food diet, but the diet of life that says, stay away from this behavior, make sure you get lots of this behavior, and hopefully that will prove to yourself, prove to God, prove to other people that you're good. The problem is, like an anorexic, it was never enough. And so she was striving and struggling, always down on herself, because while everyone else saw someone who was wonderful, she knew better. She knew what was going on in her head. And so she was struggling with this until she saw that she is in Christ. And because she's in Christ, that person that she was trying to fix and clean up is dead and gone. And she's now a brand new person, a new creation. And now what she's learning to do is to learn to live from that new identity rather than the old. Here's a great quote. I love this quote. This is one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite authors, a man named Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he's, he's quoting on this verse, Romans 6, 6, where it says, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. He says this about the verse. He says, we must hold to the objective character of this statement. What he means is that, that this is a fact of history that you and I need to hold on to. This isn't, this isn't an allegory. This isn't just, you know, Paul dreaming about something. This is a fact of history. Just like Canada became a nation is a fact of history. Just like, um, uh, you know, the Leafs won a Stanley Cup, or at least I'm, so I'm told, is a fact of history. You know, that is true. That's an objective statement of fact. He says we must hold on to this, this statement as an objective, care, or objective fact, fact. He goes on and says, the old man is the man that I was in Adam. That is the man that has died once and forever. This is to me one of the most comforting and assuring and glorious aspects of our faith. We are never called to crucify our old man. Why? Because it's already happened. The old man was crucified with Christ on the cross. Nowhere does the scripture call upon you to crucify your old man. Nowhere does the scripture tell you to get rid of the old man. For the obvious reason that he's already gone. Not to realize this is to allow the devil to fool you or to delude you. Listen to that statement. Not to realize that the old you is dead and gone allows the devil to fool you. Fool you into what? Well, here's the thing. Robin, I don't know if you've ever noticed this. I mean, to me, it's, it's pretty glaring to me. But when you look in the mirror, have you ever noticed how much you look like the old Robin? I mean, it's uncanny. You got the same look. You got the same smile. The eyes, I mean, you could, you could pass for him on his passport for sure. Have you ever noticed that? See, we look like the old self at times. And so what does the enemy do? You must be that person. Nothing's really changed. 
Oh yeah, you're forgiven, but you're still the old flow. And so how are you going to live? He tricks you and I to living like that old person, trying to fix up ourselves. But we don't need to do that. Because all it does is it robs us from who we really are. Let's, let's keep reading in the quote. He goes on, he says, What you and I are called to do is to cease to live as if we're still in Adam. Understand that the old man is not there. The only way to stop living as if he was there is to realize that he's not there. That is the New Testament method of teaching sanctification. Meaning that's how we're to live now. That's what determines what we do. Not based on the do's and the don'ts and, and is this acceptable, is that not acceptable, but living out of the truth of who we are. He goes on, he says this, the whole trouble with us, says the New Testament, is that we do not realize what we are. That we still go on thinking that we're the old man and go on trying to do things to the old man. That has been done. The old man was crucified with Christ. You don't need to do anything to him, but simply recognize that he's gone. Trying to, to get rid of the old man at this point would be sort of like me saying to you, everyone in this room, right now, will you all come into this room and sit down? Go ahead, do it right now. I did that to one guy in my office one time. He's sitting right across me. I said, I want you to come into my office and sit down. And he looked at me puzzled. I said, go for it, do it. And he's like, oh, okay. And he began to get up. And I said, what are you doing? And he looked at me, I'm just doing what you said to do. I'm like, you already did it. Oh. You mean it's finished? Yeah. I think that's somewhere in the Bible, in fact. It's already been accomplished. We don't need to crucify him. We don't need to fix ourselves. We simply need to recognize he's gone and you're someone new and someone different. Someone, it says in Ephesians 4.24, that has been created in the likeness of God in holiness, in righteousness, and in truth. That's who you are. That's why that that banner is so true that you are so loved because he's made you someone that is worthy of that love. Our writer goes on and he says this, the old man, the old self is non-existent. He's no longer there. If you are a Christian, the man that you were in Adam has gone out of existence. He has no reality at all. You are in Christ. If we but saw this as we should, we'd really begin to live as Christians in this world. We would all hold up our heads. We'd be able to defy sin and Satan. We would rejoice in Christ Jesus as we ought. And Paul says we ought to know this. Let me, let me close with one more illustration. There's, a, there's an old cartoon out there. It's probably 20 years old or something like that. It's called Anastasia. How many people remember that old cartoon? This is long before the, the Disney Pixar days and so forth. Um, and it's a story of, of the Russian royal family, the czars. And, and right around the, uh, the beginning of the 20th century... Uh, Russia up to that point was ruled by a monarchy, the czars. And then they had the, the revolution, and there was the Bolshevik rev revolution. They came in and they, they annihilated the royal family. They killed everyone because they wanted to end the monarchy and begin now what led into eventually the, the communist revolution. And, and so they, 
they killed every person in the royal family. Top to bottom. Except for one, the grandmother, she was in safe in Paris, but they never found the youngest daughter. Her name was Anastasia. They never found her body. Well, that led to all kinds of rumors and speculations. Maybe she survived. Maybe she lived. Well, the movie Anastasia sort of takes that history, and that's real history, took that history and they developed this story and said, well, what if she did? What would it, what would it have been like if she had survived? And so they imagine this scenario where the, the queen, the royal, the queen's mother, sorry, or king's mother, the grandmother in, in, in France, she is desperate to see her only remaining kin, her granddaughter. So she's willing to spend her entire fortune to have her. Well, you can imagine the kind of people that this would attract, that people would, would play off of grandmothers, her emotions and her feelings at, at the reward of this incredible wealth. And so they were constantly bringing up, you know, people who, who somewhat matched the description, saying, this is your daughter. I'm sure I found, or your granddaughter, I'm sure I found it. This is Anastasia. And, and they, they took all kinds of reaches, right? Maybe she wasn't even the right age, or maybe she didn't have the right hair color, or maybe she was a he. They would do whatever they could, hoping just to con the grandmother. Well, the story follows this one person in particular. She was an orphan. She's the actual Anastasia, but she doesn't know it. She was rescued at such a young age and then dropped off at an orphanage. She doesn't know who she is. And so she grows up, ages out of the orphanage, and now she's just sort of wandering the streets when these two con men find her. And she looks the part. She's the right age. She's got no backstory. Good enough. Let's bring her before the grandmother. And so the whole story is their journey to bring her before the grandmother. What I find interesting about it, at the end of it, they, they find out it's true. She is Anastasia, and now she becomes a princess. Is that true? No. The whole time she was the princess. The whole time she was living in that orphanage. The whole time when nobody wanted her. She was in fact the most wanted person in all the world. The whole time that she was wandering the streets homeless. She was in fact the princess and the heir of the Russian kingdom. Her problem was she didn't know it. And that's our problem. We don't know what God has truly done. Because we keep looking in the mirror and seeing someone that resembles the old self and thinking, I think there's some truth to that. I think I must still be that old person that's not good enough, that's a failure, that's flawed, that's damaged, that's broken, that will never be good enough. And God says, don't you know? Don't you know what I've done on the cross? That I have redeemed you and rescued you because I crucified the old one, buried him to get rid of him. Say goodbye forever in order that I could raise up someone new who is pure and holy. That's who you are. And all that I ask of you, all that God asks of you and I is to believe it. This is not a call of action to now live differently and live better and follow this new fad diet. That's not it. Instead, it's just to accept this as truth, to trust it, to believe it, especially when you fail, especially when shame comes attacking. The fact that that person that, that shame is trying to describe is gone and is never to return. 
that you are in fact a brand new creation, loved and accepted, holy and righteous. You don't need to do anything to make it happen because it's already been done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what makes truth is you said it. Truth is what you say, not what I feel, not what I think, not what others say, not what my actions say even. Truth is what you say. And your word and through your scriptures has said this incredible truth about us that 2,000 years before we were even born, we were crucified and buried with you. And at that moment of salvation, we became a new creation set free from the old self. Father, would you, through your Holy Spirit, speak this truth to us? Don't let this truth be something that we hear today and then forget tomorrow. Let this truth ponder in our hearts, ponder in our minds throughout the days and the weeks and months ahead so that it grips our heart and we live in the incredible freedom. Not just freedom from our sin and our, our, the penalty of that sin, not just the freedom from hell, but freedom from self to experience life today. Thank you for what you've done, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.